0: This week on the Christian Music Blog Podcast, I share with you my conversation with Stephen Miller. His new book, Worship Leaders, We Are Not Rock Stars," is both an encouraging and convicting book for those of you who serve in your local church as a worship leader. That's the feature segment for today on the CMB Podcast, session number 29.
1: Welcome to the CMB Podcast, a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music, If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith. As you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. And now your host, Nate
0: Fancher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to session number 29 of the Christian Music Blog Podcast. This is the CMB Podcast. It's a podcast that exists to serve artists and songwriters in their journey of music making through eyes of faith. Here on the podcast, we, we cover a variety of different topics and subjects that really are relevant to Christian musicians. Um, if you're looking to grow in your musicality, your musicianship, uh, if you're looking to grow in your worldview of, of making music in a way that honors God, if you want to think more deeply about what music is and what it's all about, then I invite you to join us here at christianmusicblog.com. Head over to our website, join up on our email list. Just dive in headfirst as we learn about what Jesus has to say about music and about music making. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I invite you to check out freemusicgift.com. That's uh, my way of just saying thanks for checking out our podcast, and it's a couple of gifts for you. Um, you can head over there to freemusicgift.com. It's some digital downloads, and I, and I think it'll serve you well. So go check it out, freemusicgift.com. I want to go ahead and get right into today's interview with Stephen Miller. Stephen is a worship leader at The Journey. The Journey is an influential church church right in St. Louis, Missouri, multi-site, you know, multi-campuses out there. It's pastored by his friend Darren Patrick. Uh, Just a solid church, reaching their city, making disciples, planting other churches. It's really neat to see what's happening out there. So Stephen is a husband and father who loves his family. He's a songwriter. um, He's a blogger. He writes a lot. He's very prolific in his writing. Check out his blog, stephen-miller.com. Um, and definitely check out his book that's what we talked about today his new book worship leaders we are not rock stars um, was very challenging for me personally and, and encouraging um, so those of you who are are worship people in your local churches who are leading um, teams on Sunday mornings and, and gathering folks together singing songs and corporate worship I, I definitely encourage you highly encourage you to check out this new book so um, and so yeah this this conversation will 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 be helpful to you as well. Um, If you've just picked up the book and you want to find out more and just hear from Stephen, then then I know this conversation will also encourage you. So I want to get right to it. Here's my conversation with Stephen Miller on the 29th session of the CMB podcast. I'm here with Stephen Miller. He is the author of the book "Worship Leaders: We Are Not Rock Stars." What's up, Stephen?
1: Hey, man. How you doing?
0: Doing well. Good to have you on the podcast today. Uh, I'm very excited to just dive right in and talk about your new book. It's just been such an encouragement to me. I finished it not long ago, so it's fresh on my mind and heart. And um, awesome. I love, I love the. Of course, I love the title. It's an attention-grabbing title, which is what is needed this day and age. And. Um, and then you get into each chapter saying what the worship leader is. So mm-hmm. I love that, first of all. I love that you didn't say, worship leaders, we aren't this, we aren't this, we aren't this, but we are this, this, and this. Um, but before we get into the book, why don't why don't you just tell us a little bit about your story of faith in Christ, how you became a Christian. Um, I know you're a pastor now, so there was definitely a process in becoming a pastor. And I know this obviously ties into the book, but... Um, that'd be a great place to start.
1: Yeah, I mean, for, really, from the time I was about negative nine months old, I was in the church every time the doors were open—Sunday uh, morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night lock-in, Awana RA, all that whole deal—and uh, so I, I kind of constantly had exposure to uh, all the church and all of its various forms and corporate worship and all of its various forms and and all of that—and uh, and yet. I wouldn't say that really my faith became my own. Um, although all along it was really shaping me uh, toward uh, a point of, of, of total surrender. But I, I was about 15 years old and I was sitting in my bedroom and I was just kind of in a crisis of belief and really broken. My dad and my mom were getting a divorce and he had just moved out. And, mm. uh, and so it was just a really difficult time. Uh, and I remember I was listening to a song that a friend of mine had given me and the lyrics said, Did you really have to die for me? All I am for all you are. And some reason, I had heard the song a hundred times probably at least by then, but that moment, uh, the Holy Spirit just used that song to do something in my heart, and and I remember just weeping and saying, God, all I am is yours. Whatever you want, my answer is yes, and I had no clue really what that would look like. Um, I just knew I couldn't not be Jesus's anymore, you know? Um that it was more than just going to church, that it was actually a full life, total life surrender thing. And so uh, up to that point, you know, I'd never seen a band lead worship before. It was not, that was not really the the stage the church was in at that point uh, on the whole. So everything I had seen up to that point was what I call kind of hand-wavy guy, you know, it's a guy in the suit who directs the choir and orchestra. And I didn't really want to do that. Um, And yet. Just a couple of weeks later, I was at a summer camp with my youth group, and we saw—I saw, kind of, for the first time ever—a real band lead worship. And I remember thinking, "I could do this, this," and just feeling a little bit of a tugging on my heart and wondering if this isn't what I was going to be doing. Uh, of course, every kid wants to be in a rock band, you know. Uh, so I was just praying about it, and that year, um, my uh, youth pastor asked me to To lead our worship band for our youth group, so I just started doing that, and it was pretty cool and fun because I was doing worship music that uh, you know that I would listen to, you know, that my friends would listen to, and it wasn't hand wavy guy; it was something new, you know. Um, and so that really continued on through high school, and after I graduated, I just started doing itinerant ministry mainly. So it looked like something like maybe three, four, five nights a week, I'd be playing for a different youth ministry, college ministry, singles ministry, men's ministry, whatever it was, whoever, five people, 500 people, didn't matter. I just wanted to get better and get those reps in. And, um, and so that's what I did. And I didn't transition into... Uh, local church ministry for a few years. I think I took my first real uh, position in a church when I was 23. Uh, So that's a good five years after I graduated high school, just doing itinerant stuff. Mm. Uh, That was a pretty difficult transition for me, honestly, uh, because when you're itinerant – you make records. People buy your records. Ask you to autograph your records. They applaud you. They kind of say good job. And whenever you're in the local church, it's completely different. You the only the only time people really talk to you is to tell you it was too loud or they didn't like a song. You know, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a bit of a, a bit more thankless and a bit more. Um, Kind of uh, a, a little more difficult, and so went through a real season of God just stripping back my approval idols and and really um, speaking to me about my identity and my worth being in Christ. And that kind of actually, from that experience, um, I grew into a pastor. I grew into a shepherd, much more than just the music guy. But really, um, trying to see to ask the question: What does biblical worship ministry really look like? And mm-hmm. it's probably not not just uh, whoever is the best at singing and playing guitar being on stage.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I would definitely love to explore maybe in a little bit, just a little bit more of the pastoral side. I think that's something that um, worship leaders need to continue to um, drill down on and and really talk about that. Uh, But why don't we talk a little bit about how the book started and what prompted you to write the book. Um, Um, I'm certainly... You know, it's funny, we just talked about pastoral ministry. I think it's coming out of a pastoral heart, number one.
1: It's clear that you have that. So what prompted you to write it? Yeah, I think— It's twofold. Number one, I wanted to address what are our foundational identities in Christ, because the most important thing about us is not what we do for God. Um, The most important thing about me is not that I'm a worship leader, so much as it is that I am redeemed and adopted, a child of God who's been uh, created in His image, purchased by His blood, adopted into His family. That's a big piece of it that I think worship leaders tend to uh, forget, um, that we're worshipers, first and foremost, more so in private than in public, um, and, and, that, and that we're everyday Christians. We don't get like a pass from uh, living out the Great Commission or loving Jesus and spending time with Him. So those are the kind of the foundational identities that I really wanted to drive home. But then just from a functional standpoint, I mentioned earlier you know, that whenever I started leading worship— um, it was really, the the landscape has changed a lot in the last 15 years. Uh, We've kind of, a lot of churches have made the transition from contemporary, uh, from more traditional maybe to contemporary. And as a result, a lot of times, Our churches can look a lot more like pop culture than they would look like uh, what we traditionally would think of a church, which is not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but what used to be more of a shepherding pastoral role has now been filled, as I said, by whoever's the most gifted um, and so I think that the applause of man that comes with that, just with the culture that we live in, kind of the, the attention uh, is a bit addicting and even maybe intoxicating uh, for guys. And that's something that most people can struggle with. And so rather than throw, throw stones or you know, lob grenades at people and try to just tear everybody down, I wanted to offer us a biblical perspective of something uh, greater for us to aspire toward. And hopefully this book, it's very short, it's very conversational, it's an easy read. I've had a lot of people say uh, they just sat down and read it all all in one sitting. Um, Hopefully, it's a it's a it's a book. It's a resource that pastors can take their worship leaders through, worship leaders can take their teams through, and open up the dialogue of what does Christ exalting gospel saturated worship look like in our church, and how do we do that more effectively? And so, I wrote it really for. Uh, just the kind of the gamut of guys who are in their first time worship leading positions, to uh, students who are just now kind of getting into leading worship, to the bivocational worship leader who is just doing their best to to have the songs ready for Sunday. You know, we really wanted to make it an easy to read, accessible piece, accessible resource that you don't have to be a, a a theology major with a master's in divinity to understand and really be benefited by.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And um, now during the process of writing this book, you, um, I'm sure, were writing it out of your heart and the things you've wrestled with over the years. How did it challenge you as you were writing it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wish that I could say, uh, I think pastors really deal with this a lot. You preach a sermon. And you're not just preaching it to your congregation, you're preaching it to yourself as you're preaching, you know, um, because you're likely struggling with the very things that you're teaching on. And so I wish I could say that I wrote the book and henceforth, forevermore, I shall never again struggle with uh, uh, finding my worth, finding my identity and what I do, find, you know longing for that kind of affirmation longing for that applause uh that's not true like I still have to actively fight that uh just because I'm a, I'm a fallen human being this side of eternity and so the book really challenged me as I wrote it uh just to remember who I am and whose I am and who God is and um and, and just to kind of it, – it's almost an accountability for me too, you know. And so to rethink everything I do even more and just even, even in conversations like this, I'm reminded, hey, I'm a redeemed and adopted child of God, uh, even before I'm an author of a book, you know. So that, yeah. that, that would be really my challenge, and I think it's going to be the challenge of everyone who reads it. I hope, You know, I hope that, 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 that the struggle never – we never stop struggling for the supremacy of Christ in our lives. Absolutely,
0: and I think yeah you're you've simply just been the brave one to bring it up, um, if you want to say it like that, you know, because yeah, this is something that every every guy is going to deal with now i of course, we don't know how every, everyone is different, everyone's in a different season of life, everyone wrestles with different things, but I would wager to say, and I could be wrong, but probably the guys who are full time probably deal with this more so
1: mm-hmm. because
0: there's a there's just a, an incredible Amount of weight on that person in a different way. They're more in front of people more regularly, and they have a little more time to. I don't know. Like I'm thinking of the bivocational guy who's just needing something practical. He's like, man, just tell me what to do. I have a full time job somewhere else. I got five right. kids. Um, I don't feel like a rock star at all. So I'm not even worried about it. You know.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah. Um, but that's just me because I'm a full time guy. And and uh, as you you know as I've been reading it it's just like, yeah, you're reading my mail. It's just like, mm-hmm. this is totally what we need mm-hmm. to hear. So now um, I want to kind of, I'm actually kind of getting ahead of myself. Maybe we can come back to the, the um, some of the practical stuff, because I loved Chapter 6 on liturgy and storytelling, and, mm-hmm. and you know, that that would, I know, greatly serve those bivocational folks. Um, yeah. But I'd love to continue to just kind of talk about um, the art <coughs> side of things, and especially for those of us who are full-time um, mm-hmm. Pastors, I mean pastors. I mean, you don't just see this in worship ministry, uh, worship um, industry out there. You got the whole worship industry thing. I mean, you see rock star pastordom too.
1: Sure, you yeah. know,
0: like Catalyst Leadership, a great movement. We love yeah. them, but 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 it's like lights and numbers sure. and and pragmatism all up and down. It's it's very helpful on one hand, but I can see where there yeah. are the same pitfalls for pastors as well. Yeah. But. um Anyway, so, but we are musicians, we are artists, so we have to deal with our own issues. Um, So the uh, creative process as an artist, um, in chapter 8, and I'm going to read a section here. Let me see if I'm ready for this. Yeah. I love what you say. You say, worship leaders, we must aim to make the greatest art that we possibly can to serve the greatest purpose that we were created for which I'm inserting this the glory of god I'm sure is what you're thinking of. We must labor to weave words together into a musical tapestry that makes much of the only one worthy of being made much of. And you kind of go on to say art is work. And then you talk yeah. about how important it is to rest and all this stuff. So I kind of want to talk about that hard works, that hard that hard work section of it where we're not talking about works and salvation, but we're talking about sure. you know where Paul says um, I worked harder than all of them, but not I. The grace of God within me, right? Paul says right. that. How do we, as artists, how do we, as creative people who are fragile to begin with, how do we work really hard and do it all with the right heart unto the Lord for the glory of God? That sure. purpose that we were sure. created for, without it getting into the comparison thing. And
1: yeah, um, yeah.
0: What what might be some practical tips that you've re- that you've you know done in your own life for that?
1: Yeah, I I tend to look at, I mean, when I remove myself from the pastoral ministry equation, right, and I just look at guys who are good at anything, right, not just being a pastor, not just being an artist, look at Michael Phelps how the heck did he win all those gold medals well he didn't do it in his sleep you know he may have been born with more god given talent than any man has ever been given but he worked like 12 hours a day you know he was in the pool he was working hard you know guys don't get to play in the MLB without uh, ever really working at their craft like there there is there is work that goes into anything worth doing and so um I think where artists tend to get off is that we think that inspiration is just going to come to us, and, and oftentimes it does come to us. But I, I think more often than not, if you're going to be really good at your art, you've kind of got to chase down inspiration with a bat and, uh, and really pursue that. Um, and and carve out time for it and be intentional with it so uh, uh... rhythms that i that i find myself in is that i try to i try to carve out time each day to be creative um uh, carve out l- long extended periods of time each week where either i'm skyping with another songwriter or i'm watching uh, some sort of instructional video or i'm um, whatever just to to try to improve or i'm in the studio and we're working on a new uh, a new song and really just kind of that constant um, back and forth with what's going to be the best for the song. What's going to be the best for our people in this song? How do we not distract? How do we add? How do we how do we tell the story best where the song fits, the music and the lyrics fit in with all of that, and 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 really writing songs that are helpful for our people that musically have the integrity to stand on their own, where. You know, a, a lot of times what happens is people think, well, we, if it's Christian music, you know, it can. I mean, the, the kind of the joke is like if you if you can't do music right, just do it Christian. You know, the yeah, <laughs> people, right. people who you know, yeah. especially like in the late '90s, early 2000s, it was kind of like all the Christian bands were just copies of whoever the big bands were in the secular industry or whatever, and uh, and it was because they just couldn't have made it in the secular. You know, and so let's let's not look at christian art as a past to be lesser you know let's make it the best you know if if the ultimate creative one is living inside of us the one who created everything that we see um, we really have, don't have an excuse to not be creative yeah, right that's right um, absolutely yeah so i just think working hard working with others finding rhythms Uh, to put yourself in new situations that cause you to think more creatively, whether that be co-writing, whether that be on a new instrument. Uh, Like if you write all your songs or you perform all your songs or whatever on an acoustic, maybe try doing it on a piano one day or try not having an instrument and just letting someone else uh, kind of take take that. And um, you'd be amazed at the kind of things that could happen from that.
0: Mm. That's
1: good. Yeah. And, you
0: know, just to add again, just in your, in this particular portion of chapter 8, you, you, um, you talk about God resting and how he modeled for us that, that Sabbath rest. You know, I'm thinking of guys who, you know, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, where the dude with one talent buried his. The guy with two doubled his and the guy with five, and we know the story. But um, I guess I, I have personally struggled with striving and using that parable as an excuse or, you know, saying, I got to, I got to get more on my return, you know, and and I'm, and I end up striving and I'm not living in the good of the gospel anymore. And it's really funny how that works out in my heart. But do you know what I mean? Like, I think that there, there is a, what's the answer for living Matthew 25 out in a way that honors God, working hard in a way that honors God and not working in a striving way where you're, on the outside it looks like you're doing the same thing as the other guy but underneath it all you're really just wanting to be a rock star do you know what i'm saying right so that's kind of the tensions i think that we're going to have to keep battling and i mean how would you say that you you would fight that
1: yeah i think ultimately you're coming back to the understanding of who's your father you know um who is your master You know, are you laboring for the applause of man? Are you laboring so that on that last day you're told, well done, good and faithful servant? Um, And that's a big difference, you know. And maybe no one would ever pick up on that but you, but just spending that time daily in private worship. Before the Lord, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're gonna know. You're gonna hear that from Him. You're gonna you're gonna hear that conviction, that prompting—not condemnation necessarily, but just definitely. There's going to be a sense of the Holy Spirit's delight in you, apart from your work, and encouraging you to work at the same time. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're never gonna be fully on this side of eternity, fully pure in our motives. That doesn't give us a license to never do anything, um, because that's sin as well. Yeah. But uh, it does give us a little bit of of permission to to just to continue to work and do it, knowing, hey, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and He understands that our frame is but dust, you know, um, and so. Uh, you you know what I mean? Um, there there's freedom in the gospel and knowing that like, you're not going to get it right all the time, but that doesn't mean stop trying. You
0: know? Yeah, and it, man, that's such a good reminder because gospel, the gospel is what frees us to really go for it, mm-hmm. and and just be so confident in God's love and, and and the work of Christ on our behalf. I mean, that's just the answer for sure. So good, and there yeah. are
1: seasons that the Holy Spirit just tells you to lay stuff down too. I mean, right. be that. um you know you know i knew a a friend who's an incredibly gifted uh video guy and that's kind of his uh his way that he expresses art uh, for the church is he does video storytelling. And for Lent last year, for that, for those days, he gave up uh, doing any kind of art. He, he, he just wouldn't do it. And so that was a season of rest for him. And then when he came back, he had all these ideas, and he ended up working really hard after that. And it wasn't like uh, to prove anything. It was just I do think there are seasons where maybe you just – lay stuff down as well and do rest in God's work. Mm. So good.
0: Amen, man. So, um, in chapter nine, you really address the heart. You take time to, to really remind us that we are Christians. We're not, we're not even first. We're not worship leaders. We're not all these other good things first. We are Christians. We are in Christ. I think that's so good. Um, I love how you finished the book. Um, I'm going to read it. Can I read another part? (laughs) Do it, yeah. So in chapter 9, you really address the heart of the rock star worship syndrome, as you call it. You really just bring it back to the fact that we are Christians. This is how you finish the book. You say, let's slow down, take a breath of fresh air, enjoy the beauty of God's creation, listen for His voice, respond in obedience, let's stop trying so hard to be rock stars, let's be Christians. And uh, there's way more than that. I mean, we could keep reading stuff um, in terms of the just the affirmations that you bring that just the truth over and over again, the promises of our identity in Christ. And um, I want to kind of talk about that because in the local church, what that does is a very healthy thing. It, it makes a musician the same as the, the custodian in the local church. It makes, it makes us all brothers and sisters. And so about the local church, um, can, can you speak to the importance of artists being plugged into community, how they should be um, relating to God's people, um, what kind of churches should they be in, um, those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, we talk about the priesthood of believers. I think, you know, you're you're kind of hitting on that with the musician is the same as the custodian. You know, like we're all equal in, in, in standing before God, just different functionality within the church, and that doesn't make one more important than another, right? Right. Uh, I need my big toe as much as I need my eye, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, And so um, what I think tends to happen is uh, I hear this a lot. I hear leaders say things like it's lonely at the top. Leadership is lonely, um, you know, and, and I don't think it has to be that way. I think that's a choice. Um, and, and at the same time, uh, I think that's a choice that we make maybe subconsciously in putting ourselves above everyone else right And sometimes leadership there is a time you know where you where you kind of need to be on your own and things like that you need to I mean you, we see Moses going away uh, onto the mountain a lot. We see Jesus going away by himself a lot. that's just I think that's different though than the everyday, um, living in community or not living in community with people. I think that's different than the everyday uh, carrying out the Great Commission and making disciples of all people. Um, what we tend to do is we think, okay, I'm serving in the church in this capacity, therefore I'm exempt from doing XYZ, right? I'm serving in the church in this capacity so I don't have to share the gospel with my neighbor. I'm serving in the church in this capacity, therefore I don't have to be in community with people, uh, because everyone would want to be in community, with me. or whatever the whatever the excuse is. We want to make excuses that we're somehow above uh, above doing that. We're somehow exempt from doing that. Um, I think about worship leaders who they get done with their. Leading worship, and then they go back into a green room and play Xbox and eat donuts during the sermon, rather than sitting with their church and listening and sitting under the teaching of the gospel that their pastor has prepared for them, as well as their people. Right? Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I didn't know.
0: I didn't even know that actually happened.
1: <laughs> oh. It, oh, it happens. Yeah. Oh man. Um, wow. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that the more that we realize we're just normal everyday Christians. <laughs> That's a good way to fight pride in of itself. You know, you just kind of keep reminding yourself, "I'm not special. I'm not a unique snowflake. I, you know, I I really am just an everyday guy, and maybe I'm just serving in a different capacity than another everyday guy."
0: Mm-hmm. So good, absolutely. Let's talk about the bivocational worship guy. Let's let's encourage him for a little bit. Um, yeah. I actually had this question earlier on, but I feel like it'd be good to maybe end with this. We can begin to wrap it up here. But um, you talk about the beauty of storytelling and how important it is as we communicate the gospel every week that we carefully, prayerfully plan our worship sets in such a way that tells a story, the story of yeah. God, the story of Christ. How do you do that pr- practically each and every week? What are the ways that you do that? I mean you, you go into um, the Isaiah portion in chapter six which is really good i think that's a very good practical launch pad for folks um do you do that do you just open that up and or i'm sure you have it memorized by now but do you do that every week or do you have an actual system that you use what is that system what are the tools you use whatever you'd like to share
1: yeah, I mean that's that's our that's our go-to. We we call it the gospel arc narrative, um, and and so I I say the importance of liturgy. I call it storytelling. Uh, that's actually the title. We are storytellers, mm-hmm. mainly because a lot of people would be scared off by the word liturgy. Storytelling. Right. Um, that, that that maybe their background has been that liturgy is like really rote, kind of stale church or something like that. Really, all that is is the work of the people. It's it's how do we worship God? How do we order our worship in such a way that it is most effectively communicating the gospel story, which is the only story that is promised uh, to give the power of salvation to all who believe, right? It's the only uh, truth that is promised to set us free. Uh, it is the only, I mean, it is the story. It's the best story. It's the only story worth telling over and over again. And so um, when we leave out pieces of it, uh, that's dangerous, Um, and I think all of us tend to be strong in some areas and not strong in other areas, which would mean the likelihood of us leaving a piece out, uh, is higher each week. So whenever, uh, say I'm more prone to, uh, I I maybe excel at, and I'm, uh, maybe more bent towards celebration and rejoicing. Um, you know, that adoration, that praise that Thanksgiving, uh, that side of things. I might plan an entire set, uh, of songs doing that. Or my liturgy might just be, let's start with fast songs and end with slow songs. Or uh, my liturgy might just be, let's, uh, let's do um, you know, five songs that thematically fit in with what my pastor. And none of those things are bad, but how are they communicating the story? of the gospel and so we start with isaiah every week so isaiah 6 1 through whatever i can't remember the exact passage in the year king uzziah died i saw the lord and he was seated on his throne the train of his robe filled the temple when we spoke the foundations shook right this is god inserting himself into the everyday uh... thing of isaiah right isaiah went into the temple A priest went to the temple every year, right? This was just something that was normal. But a theophany like this was very unique. It very rarely happened. Um, It very rarely happens in the Bible. And so uh, God himself is calling Isaiah into his presence. He's shaking him out of his normal routine. And so we call this the call of worship, right? God is initiating. God is inviting us into his presence to worship him. That's not something that we do. Um, Just us coming to church doesn't mean that uh, that we initiate worship god is inviting us into his presence right this is a big deal so every every week we start with a call to worship and that can be a scripture reading that can be um a song come thou fount of every blessing tune my heart to sing thy praise it's kind of asking the lord you know a uh, praise to the lord the almighty songs like that um the psalms are full of great calls to worship um just kind of saying, kind of shaking our people out of their normal routine, saying, "Hey, we've been invited into the presence of God, and so let's bring Him an offering of praise." Um, from there, you know, we see Isaiah sees the Lord, and we see angels calling back to one another, crying out with a loud voice, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory." And so that we call that the segment of our of our service that's kind of praise and adoration and thanksgiving, um, just offering uh, exaltation to the only one who's worthy of our exaltation. Um, From there, Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. The only thing that can show us how unclean we are, how unholy we are, is how holy God is, right? Right. So we move into a time of confession as a response to the holiness of God and to the adoration of God, we realize that we need to confess our sin. Um, Isaiah says, woe is me. And then God does not miss a beat. He sends an angel uh, to touch a coal to his lips and say, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are taken away. That's our time of assurance. So every week we follow up uh, our confession with assurance. First John one four says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our assurance, is that God never leaves us to wallow in our sins. He always reminds us uh, of who we are in the one who went to the cross on our behalf and took away our sins. Um, And then, almost without missing a beat as well, uh, God starts to say, You know, kind of to himself. It's funny, like this weird Trinitarian conversation. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? You know, (laughs) Uh, it's like God does not rescue us to just like stay, you know, stay there and 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 thinking about how awesome it is that we got saved. He says, "Who's gonna Who's gonna go and tell the world about how amazing I am and what and what we've done?" So um, Isaiah says, "Here I am, Lord, send me." And so we always end our service. With a time of mission, a time of dedication, a time of commitment, sending uh, a benediction, uh, kind of even even just remembering that worship doesn't end here; it continues yeah. on yeah. in the way that we live lives of obedience to our God. The, the 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 measure of our worship is not how high we raised our hands today; it's how we live in obedience and in, and by faith out in the world tomorrow. You mm. know, the job on Monday is as much worship as the song on Sunday. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how we do it, call to worship, adoration, thanksgiving, and praise, uh, confession, assurance, commitment, mission, and sending, uh, and then benediction.
0: And so this, just for clarity's sake, for for that bivocational worship guy who's listening, he doesn't have to take this and be like, I have to basically make sure that all, let's say five, all five of my songs that I select are going to be under this thing. This is more for the entirety of a corporate worship gathering From the start to the end of that service, which would include preaching of God's word, any sacraments, whether it's communion or baptism, Um, and so I'm assuming you're probably doing this with a team of folks there at the journey. Um, But how does this apply to, let's say, a guy who's told by his senior pastor, "You got to, you got to find me four songs this week: one at the or three at the beginning, one for the offering, and, and maybe one more at the end as we leave." Does he take? These uh, five movements and apply them to those song choices as well?
1: I think, yeah. I think, um, you know, the church, the pastor ought to have some sort of, uh, I mean, he ought to. I don't know that every pastor would, but uh, some sort of desire to see where the service is going to go. Apart from just, uh, I'm preaching on marriage today, you know, give me five songs about marriage, you know, well, that's not going to. Possible, so good worship is good worship, you know. Um, but you know, I think I think I actually set up the that chapter based on that kind of situation, where the worship leader is kind of assuming the role of the liturgist, mm-hmm. and outside of that, the sermon, the offering, blah blah blah, all that fits in there. But each church is going to be different, and yeah. so if you got five songs. Even if you got four songs, you know, the confession and the assurance don't even have to be a song. They can be a song. Yeah, the yeah. worship doesn't even have to be a song. Exactly. it could be a song. It's very fluid. Like you, I would just say you want to try within the confines of what your church uh, is set up to do and their goals. To do your best with your portion, if if it's not so much of a team kind of thing, and it's more of a you get here, you just pick out five songs, and we'll insert that into what we're already doing. Uh, you should have as much intentionality with that as possible.
0: Mm, it's good. Yeah,
1: I, I'm thinking
0: of, I'm thinking of just guys from very different cultures than maybe our our churches might be in. Um, you know, very. There's nothing wrong with preaching on marriage. Obviously, topical sermons are very important. Sure, but, sure. You know, churches that don't necessarily go through books of the Bible, or um, you know, these guys who are very creative or, or, or doing even non-Christian songs for their worship sure. times. You know, you hear churches doing that. This guy that reads that book, your book, he's he's challenged. He's stirred in his heart. He sees he sees a different way of doing things. Um. I guess he's got a lot to work through, but he can he can still take that those five movements and do do some yeah. stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's the hope. Would be those fi- stripping it back to those five core things. Mm-hmm. I think those five core things could fit into any worship service. Should fit into any worship service, no matter what.
0: Yeah, even even the call to worship. I mean, it's it's astonishing to me how often how easy it is to come together and you just want to get right into doing business as normal without realizing the gravity of, of what's happening, the significance of what's happening, (laughs) you know, just coming in. So very good. Well, um, let's talk a little bit as we wrap it up here, just about your new album, all hail the King. You, did you record this and write the songs for this during the same time as you were writing the book?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of always writing, like I said earlier, my, Rhythm is every day I write something, um, and so you know we 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 had a very short limited period of time that we could do this with, and so I've got a lot more songs that we're working on another album right now. I mean, I, I really I had written we released three albums within a year and a half, so uh, yeah, yeah. it's been a busy last you know last year and a half, uh, but it's been a fun and fulfilling one, and so. Um, we kind of we we write songs for our church, and hopefully other churches can benefit from them, but they're really to resource our people with songs so that they can not only uh, maybe connect with on the midweek uh, in order to come. To, to to worship more prepared and, and know the songs better, but also just to have that time in their private worship time, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it prepares them for corporate worship and resources them for private worship in their car on their way to work or whatever. That's really the hope. And so, whenever uh, I, I wrote the book with Moody Publishing, and they said, "What would you think about doing an album?" Well, I'm never going to turn that down. You know, it's oh, a, awesome. it, it made for a fun a fun time of doing both. Um, and and they're both so different, you know. They're just so so creatively different. It's just a different canvas to to resource the church with.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I didn't realize that they had uh, the idea of actually doing both together.
1: Yeah, that's excellent. So you so, actually so- get a copy of the record when you buy the book, and that was kind of the point all yep. along. That it would just be another thing that we could give uh, the people who are buying the book, so that um, they're just helped better. Uh, Within their own local church contacts.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Now, forgive me, but I have not downloaded my copy yet. I I did. I did see it at the end of the, at the end of the book. But does the album go into? uh, Does the album have any sort of flow or any sort of like um, um, familiarity with the book and where the book goes? Does that make sense? What I'm asking, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, not really. I mean, really, uh, the uh, the the concept was. you know, you mentioned earlier, Jesus is the only rock star, right? Yeah. So if we're not rock stars. It'd be hard to say something like, uh, Jesus is a rock star in a, in a corporate worship song without sounding kind of hokey. So all yeah. hail the King is really kind of the opposing view of that. Right. Um, uh, and so that, that, that comes from the chorus that we wrote for crowning with many crowns. Um, our church is a, a Big hymns, heavy church, Um, and 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 my hope would be that churches don't abandon the hymns uh, for the sake of writing a new song. And yet, um, I'll admit I'm the first to say I don't like listening to hymns on a record unless they've maybe been updated. You know, just for the same reason that I uh, didn't like listening to them when I was a kid. So uh, I'm a big, I'm very passionate about. Reworking and redoing hymns, keeping the original melody so that people know them. It's an automatic connect for a lot of people in our churches. No matter what their church background was, if they grew up in church at all, um, they'll know the they'll know that melody. Or if they're just a new in Christ, they're learning doctrine and they're being shaped by that. Um, so the the record has got a a good blend of hymns that we've redone and, tr- and and new songs that we've written. And did
0: you use your your band, is your band the same band that you play with on Sunday mornings? and
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Well, thanks so much again for being on the podcast. Why don't you tell folks where to go if they have just now discovered who you are, how to get the book, how to get the album, um, where yeah. are you online, all that.
1: Yeah, the book's available online on Amazon or uh, Kindle, iBooks, uh, whatever. Um, You can go get it at Lifeway or your local family Christian stores or whatever the bookstore is that you go to, Christian bookstore you go to. Uh, The the album comes with it for free. But if you just want to buy just the album, you can get that on iTunes or Amazon. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Stephen Miller, that's with a P-H-S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R, Facebook, Stephen Miller Music, um, or at my website, Stephen-Miller.com.
0: Wonderful. Thanks again, brother, for being on the podcast. Thanks for your book. Thanks for getting all of us started in this very important conversation. I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about as uh, things continue to go down the road for music and as churches are planted, as things are brought into the church culture. There's a lot to
1: talk about. Awesome, Nate. Thanks a lot, man.
0: Really good stuff there. Make sure you get today's show notes, christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 29, where we have some links to um, Stephen's blog, his book, of course, the new album, and some more stuff as well but i wanted to just before we uh wrap it up here at the end i want to just highlight one of the things that that he brought up you know as we were discussing the parable of the talents and how um you know i i personally have had numerous occasions where i'm thinking of that parable and i'm and i'm striving i'm thinking i have to be a good steward of my gift you know what i'm saying um and and i think and i use that parable and i think of that parable and and it's just funny how my heart can turn it around. But, um, you know, the question really is, as he said, who is your father? Who is your master? What are you laboring for? And um, he brought up just the importance of daily being filled by the Holy Spirit. And and if the Holy Spirit lives inside you, then you're going to know uh, how how you're doing in that labor and, and what your motives um, are. And so I, I just encourage you to to go read that parable and think about what it is that you're doing, as far as how you're stewarding your own talents, your own gifts, your own time, and um, and ask yourself what what are you laboring for? Who is your master? What is uh, the end of it all? What does that look like for you? Um, in fact, actually, at our at our site um, last week, the week where I didn't have uh, a podcast on Friday, we had um, a guest post by Kristen Gillis, who's a part of Sojourn Church. Um, we had her her and her husband, Bobby, on the podcast a couple weeks ago, but she wrote a great guest post, Three Key Ways to Grow as a Worship Leader, and um, based it off of a sermon that I also heard um, by Bob Coughlin, and um, who we're going to be having on the podcast soon, very excited about that, but but just a very important blog post, and it's about this parable, and, and just a way that we can be at rest, we can trust God, and we can work really hard. I think, there's just something really cool about that, and I think there's something that we all long for as artists to be free of, and that's striving. You know there, there's that there's that idea of just pushing on a door and you just want it to ha- open so badly and, and and it's just not budging and and we can tend to strive and that just really wears us out and it drains our creativity. It really ends up shooting us ourselves in the foot, you know. but um I think that you know as we as we ask that question, what are we laboring for? And as we seek to be filled daily by the Holy Spirit and to, to submit our lives to his word every day, I think that path, uh, God will direct our footsteps. And it's a daily fight. It's a daily struggle. And um, it's just a, it's a good one worth having, Having though. You don't want to be the guy who buries his talent and um, doesn't do anything. So I encourage you to go over there to the show notes today. I'll put some links in there for the um, guest post. Uh, ChristianMusicBlog.com forward slash session29. All right. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening up to this point. I want to remind you to check out freemusicgift.com. That's the gift that I mentioned to you in the beginning. Head over to freemusicgift.com where you'll find two gifts and an opportunity to sign up for our weekly newsletter. The newsletter for me is just the heart of CMB. It's where I personally meet you. I interact with you. I like to dialogue with you. I'd love for you to email me back when you get that first email after you sign up. And again, thanks for checking out the podcast. So freemusicgift.com. Next Friday, I'm really stoked to introduce you to the new music of Claybrook. Claybrook is my good friend right here in North Carolina, and I had him join me in the studio. Actually, he came in to co host next week's episode where we talk about his new EP, which is coming out this coming Tuesday, October 1st. It's called On the Inside. Very excited to share that conversation with you. And that's next week on the CMB podcast. We'll see you then.
1: Thank you for listening to the CMB Podcast. For more valuable content, including helpful articles and video, visit ChristianMusicBlog.com.